Welcome to Divergent Perspective, the podcast. If you don't leave this space with a new thought, something to laugh about, or something that made you think, we have failed you. Let's get into it. Welcome back to Divergent Perspective, the podcast. My name is Mia Elliott, and I am the host, and I'm so excited to be having a conversation with my good friend, Nettie Anderson. Nettie, introduce yourself to the people while I cough. Yeah. <laughs> cough in peace. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Um, I am Nettie. Um, I am... Um, I love Nettie so much. I think a lot of my experience... Well, I should tell you guys how we met. We met in college at CSU Monterey Bay. Um, I feel like a lot of people I've had on the podcast somehow came out of CSU and B. I'm like, look at CSU and B giving me a connection. Hey, like what? First of all, we're out here. Right. Alumni honor. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, but that's honestly because the black population was seven to eight percent while we were there. And you know, Nettie did a great job of making sure the black people knew each other. Um, I met Nettie not not because of we worked in admissions. I'm pretty sure I got my job in admissions because of you. So Shout out Where to you. Where did you meet? Do you remember that? I do, it had to be like Black Student Union or something. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I but know. if you know Nettie or if you don't know, you're probably going to get to love, get to know and love her on this podcast. She's very infectious. So I feel like, it, like it's very easy to be like, even if, I, you know what? Honestly, I take that back. My first memory of you had to probably be, um, what's that thing that, all the freshmen, like once you get accepted, admitted students reception. Oh, admitted student reception. Yeah, and like the black student oh, thing. Um, mm-hmm. we I don't know if we we probably did meet, but I just remember your presence being like one that I'm like, she's a tall black girl. I have to go talk to her grandma. <laughs> and I think I did. I think you like told us about volleyball or like something. I just remember like I don't know why like that memory just came up, but when I thought about it, but I met Nadine in college and. Uh, we both worked for admissions and something um, I think the reason why I have her on today, not only is for her to share her insights, but something I left college thinking about was the shit I did not know. The, the shit I wish I knew as a first generation college student. Um, I've told people I'm going to write a book about this. Maybe we can co-write this book, but Ooh, I really yeah. think... Like, there's such a gap of information that, like, yes, admitted students' reception was great, but I wish someone gave me a book and was like, this is all the things you need to know, and um, that will help you when you're 25 and still struggling. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, yeah, so that's today's topic. We are going to be talking about the shit we wish we knew and hopefully giving some advice to um, people out there um, before they make some of at least my mistakes. I don't want to call not mistakes. My grandma says, stop using that word. Lessons, the lessons, the lessons I learned that I would hope I can help someone. I wish I knew at 17, 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So um, I think a big term we'll be using a lot is first generation college student. Can you define that term for people who may not know what that means? Yes. So a first generation college student is any student who is applying to college and uh, their parents did not attend um, or did not graduate a university. So they may have attended, but if they did not graduate and get their undergraduate degree, then you would be considered a first generation student. Perfect. 
Um, are you a first generation student? I know. I am not. Okay. No, cool. my, um, my dad is a graduate from CSUN and my mom actually, she's like one of the transfer students that like, I would hate reviewing their files because they went to so many different colleges. <laughs> when you're like Hartnell, NPC, full to like. But the thing is, she didn't even go to all the different community colleges. She went to the four years, and those are so much harder to evaluate. <laughs> she went to UCLA, and she went oh, to UC Davis. Yes. And then I think she went to one other school, and she finally graduated from, I think it's like the New School of California mm-hmm. in, um, in San Francisco. Okay. And I was in, I think, sixth or seventh grade when she, somewhere in junior high when she actually graduated. So that was really cool experience to be able to see my mom graduate and finally get her undergraduate degree. Yeah, that's super cool. I am a first generation college student. And um, I think it's crazy because I decided that I wanted to go to college when I was same age or like in the sixth or seventh grade, no, like sixth Mm -hmm. grade, sixth or seventh, I can't remember, but I, I live in Sacramento and I had told my family, I was like, can we go to UC Berkeley? I really want to go to that school one day. Like, can you guys just take me there? So my grandma and my father, like, figure at the time, um, we went there one weekend. We just, like, walked around the campus. Um, I wrote them a letter. They sent me, like, a whole bunch of stickers and, like, a little pendolin. And they're like, I you know, like, yeah, all this stuff. And, like, that's what kind of, like, sparked my interest in college. But other than that, like, my family did not talk about it. We did not um, – I didn't go to UC Berkeley. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a different, you know. I, I just don't think Cal wanted me. There, there was times in my life. <laughs> it's a hard school to get into. And, like, I do know a little bit about UC admissions. And it's hard because, like, when you are working with schools who admit and they do, like – holistic reviews and you have to turn in like personal insight questions and personal statements. It's really not about the perfect student. It's about the perfect class. Mm. And so sometimes there's like, I don't want to call it collateral damage because it's not collateral damage, but you get a lot of very high achieving students who don't get accepted to these schools. And right. like Berkeley is the hardest school to get into in the UC. It's probably one of the most competitive schools. Um, Berkeley and UCLA are definitely up there. And then, but they don't receive the most applications, right? You've got schools like UCLA that is the most applied to school in the nation. So like it becomes, it becomes like really touchy. And so then when you're trying to figure out what does this what does this formula look like for the perfect class? You're going to get some of your top high achieving students, but you're not going to take every single one. Yeah. And then you're going to get some of your students who maybe aren't as high achieving, but are maybe like really involved and can still, but that, I think I'm skipping ahead. I wanted to ask you <laughs> before I get into all that. I was so sparked, amazed. <laughs> what sparked your interest? And in like, like you said, no one ever talked about it. So what was it for you? If you remember that was like, I want to go to college. I think the biggest thing for me, and I'm, I apologize if anyone hears my dog scratching at the door. They're not allowed in the room right now. We're, we're, we're podcasting. We're live. Um, honestly, um, and this is like real, I think I wanted better for me and my family. And who I had that epiphany at 12, <laughs> but I didn't know what that necessarily meant. But, you know, I heard on TV, I heard from like, other friends who like parents went to college like that was like the stepping stone to a quote-unquote better life so that's what I kind of set my mind to um and when I say I set my mind to it I really just mean I made this declaration I didn't really like 
you know, I didn't have the highest GPA in high school. So that's probably why I didn't get it to Berkeley or I didn't even apply because I knew it was going to be a waste of time. But um, that didn't stop me from wanting to go to college, you know, and exploring the CSU system and all that. So it definitely started with the I want better and college, you know, um, society tells us that college is Uh the better. And I believe that. I still believe that. I think I still believe that too. I think there's definitely like with Generation Z and the rise of the internet and social media and how people can make money, definitely entrepreneurship is on a much higher rise. Right. Um, and so you've got kids who are in junior high who are millionaires based off of their YouTube channels. And I'm like, that's crazy. Right. I'm jealous. <laughs> I wish. Right. I'm jealous. <laughs> right. Like, I still work for this day to help me. <laughs> but I think there is still some truth to that rhetoric of going to college will help you with your quality of life quote unquote for sure depending on what it is that you want to do as well right like if you want to be an entrepreneur you don't have to have a college degree but having a college degree is going to help you with that theory of running a business and with all these little nuances that you may not know to think of. It'll just help you formalize yourself a little bit more, right? You don't have to have it. You can be a multi-billionaire and not even graduate high school, right? Yeah. Um, people just have it. But if you want to work in academia and you want to be a professor or you want to be um, in administration and be directors of departments or an associate vice chancellor, or you want to be the president of a university, you're going to have to go to college. Right. And you're going to, you can't only, you can't stop at your undergraduate degree. You got to go all the multiple. way to your PhD, right? right? So you got to get multiple degrees or get some level of a doctorate. It doesn't have to be a PhD, but some doctorate um, level degree in order to reach those, those goals or those, um, sorry, I'm like losing the name, but those positions on a campus. So it just depends on what you want to do and how a college degree will help you get to that path. Right. And I think that what it's hard Okay, point number one, shit I didn't know, is going into college, decided on a major. Like, I Mm -hmm. remember applying to schools and, like, San Jose State. I applied to San Jose State, and they made you um, declare a major. And I got into the school, but I didn't get into my program. And I didn't know what that meant. I was like, okay, so did I not get in? Like, you know, so, oh, I'm I'm not going to go there because, like, I won't be able to, quote, unquote, do what I want to do. But then on my first day, literally my first week, move-in week at CSUMB, I was a um, social behavior sciences major. I went and changed it to education that very first week. And I (laughs) made that my project, you know, I just did that because that's what I wanted, I quote unquote wanted to do. And don't get me wrong, I lucked out. I do love education and I've learned so much and that is my passion. But not everyone's that lucky where like they kind of know what they want to do and or, you know, all that whole mumbo jumbo. So what would you say to anyone who's 17, 18 years old and has to declare a major? Like, is it are you stuck with that major? Like, what's that? Good question. So this is where research is also really important. So do a little bit of research and see um, what one, what major are you applying to Two. Will the school that you're applying to allow you to change your major? And how easy is it to change that major, right? Um, 
you don't, the number one thing I really like for students to know is you don't have to have it figured out going into college. You do not have to know your major. And I think a lot of students get really nervous and anxious and they think I have to have it all figured out. I have to know what major I'm going to be. If not, the college isn't going to look at me. It's going to look bad on my application. And what we really like to tell students is that nothing will ever hurt your application. Things will only enhance or help your application, right? So at least that's for the system that I work for. Um, I know for some private, some like Ivy League private schools, it could be a little bit different. And so I don't want to speak on their admissions process. That's something you would definitely want to like call admissions officer, but just do that research. And it doesn't take much research. It's not going to take hours worth of research. Literally just go to the admissions page. And then if there's a major that you're interested in that you really like, check to see if it is capped or impacted, right? And what do those terms actually mean? It All it means is that they have more eligible students applying to those majors than they actually have room for. So they have to limit the enrollment. Yeah. So when you choose a major that's not capped or you choose undeclared, which at some schools in the Cal States, I know that they typically cap undeclared. Mm-hmm. Um, but in some of the other universities, they don't cap undeclared at all. Because like you said, for San Jose State, you didn't get admitted into your first choice major, but you did get admitted to the school as undeclared, which means it gave you an extra two years to figure out what you want to do. And there are statistics that show that students, I think it's something, it's a really large number. I think it's something like 80 or 90% of students change their major in college. Yeah. So yeah, it's a really high number. So I think that's something that students really should know is that the number the percentage of students that are actually changing their major in college is very high. It's more than 50%. So it is likely that you are not alone. Um, And as Mia said, she changed her college the first week in school. I changed my major, I think like maybe two times. I mean, I pretty much knew what I wanted to do, but when I got to Monterey, they didn't have the major that I wanted. And so some shit you should know. (laughs) Check the website. If your major is not on their website, they don't have it. And choose a school that has your major or the desired major that you want to get into. Yeah, that's good. Or something similar. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that exact one. Um, And then, um, but that was fine. I ended up loving my major. And so I was originally a a double major in- You got your double major? I did not double major, uh, but I, I came in as a, I came in as a visual arts major, which I don't even remember putting that on my application, <laughs> but I probably did because I wanted to do theater and I didn't understand the difference. Um, and so I, then once I got there the first week, I was like, I'm going to change my major. So I changed it from visual arts to, it was teledramatic arts and technology at the time. So mm, they called it TAT cart. and humanities and communication Mm -hmm. and then I changed from um I dropped my cart major which is now cinematic arts and technology and then I just stayed as humanities and communication and then my last week (laughs) was my last it was my last two weeks in college literally my senior year I said I'm not ready to graduate and so I went to my academic advisor and I said how do I stay an extra semester and she's like what? <laughs> and I was like, I know. I like I don't want to graduate. I'm not ready yet. And so she was like, okay, we'll just add a second concentration. So I added a second concentration and then I dropped one of the courses. So I'm not an official dual concentration, but I technically have all the classes to fulfill it. It's just not the class count to get you. So I'm like one class short, but yeah. Those are all technicalities. I'm right. a dual concentration. <laughs> right. 
And I feel like that's you spoke to so many great things, but like I think one thing, not I don't think I didn't know this, but a, a common misconception is like I hear a lot of especially black people, um, or like even um global citizens, like they want to be engineers, doctors, all these things, but then like they're not math or science people, and like or they're struggling in all these classes, and like that costs them money. <laughs> um. What would you recommend to anyone like who doesn't really understand that concept? Like, do you get out like the first time you fail a class? Do you get out mm-hmm. like what is that kind of? I remember failing in class and I'm like, oh. <laughs> okay. So what I'm gonna say is maybe a little harsh and it's gonna sound like a tangent, but I'm gonna wrap it back in. First of all, you all will not be doctors and engineers. <laughs> and there is nothing wrong with that. I think part of the issue with a lot of black and brown communities is we feel like the only way out of the hood that's not an entertainment industry, and a lot of our parents don't want us in that industry for very good reasons, um, is that you have to be a doctor, a scientist, like engineer, or lawyer, right? Yeah. Like those are literally your only four career options. And Typically, students in black and brown communities, we hate math and science, right? And I think a lot of it has a lot to do with teaching in our K through 12 education, which make us not like science, not like math. Right. And that's a whole nother issue in its, in its own. And so then you get to college and you're taking these courses and you feel like you have to, you have to be in this major um, in order to make something of yourself, in order to make your parents like happy. Right. And I think if you're able to drop down your parents' expectations of you, you can be a lot happier. Um, when is a good time to get get out of the major. I would say if you are really struggling in your classes and you come out of that first semester and you've had your, um, you've taken your first like few science classes, you've taken two or three science classes in your semester and you're looking at your GPA and it's below like a 2.5 or 3.0, you should start considering how can I change my major and what does that look like? Yeah. But also if you're like, I really want to be a doctor and I don't like that rhetoric, please know you do not have to be a biology major to be a doctor. Mm. And I think that's the biggest thing that people don't know yeah. is that they assume in order to be a doctor of any sort, they have to do um, undergraduate in biology or microbiology. Yeah, that's good. No, you can be a theater major right. with an emphasis on dance and still be on a pre-med pathway because all it is is the course prerequisites. And so you just need a, like a few amount of biology courses and a few amount of um, math courses and then study for the MCAT. And I guarantee you, you'll have a much easier time getting into med school, doing it that way and doing something artsy that you love in undergrad because your GPA will be higher. And when you're going to med school, they're going to be looking at your GPA. Can you maintain this? They're also going to look at those course prerequisites. And so if you have a higher GPA in those course prerequisites and you didn't take all these unnecessary biology courses, your GPA there is going to be higher. And then you'll have more time to study and you'll be less stressed out studying for the for the MCATs. So I think that is something that we don't tell enough students is that you don't have to be biology or microbiology in order to be a doctor if that's still the pathway that you want to take that's so good and that also like I feel like people and this is once again the shit that I didn't know or the shit that I didn't want to believe is you can take all those prerequisites at a community college 
nowadays here in California, like community college is damn near free. So I and my debt induced self, I, mm-hmm. you know, like all of my lower division courses that I literally could have taken for only hundreds of dollars instead of thousands of dollars. I regret like so much because I mean, once again, it's a lesson and it's something I could tell someone else, but there was so much stigma around back when I was um, graduating high school, like, oh, if you went to community college, like that's where like the failures or the stoners went. And that's actually not true. Like the fiscally responsible people are going to community college and then going, you know, and like you're going to community college doing your like your basic English, your basic math and all those things. Or then go to undergrad for two years and do dance and then go, You like you were saying, like, you know, so many of my friends graduated from college with, like, psychology or age comp or, like, whatever, and now they're going back and they're getting their counseling degrees or – and these are, like, people who weren't even – had no interest in counseling um, back in college right. or like now they are going to nursing school and all they had to do was take a few courses at their local community college. So once again right. – I am an advocate. All of my students, like um, that, I mentored, like in high school and stuff. I was like, "Oh yeah, like there's no shame in that. Go, go to Nova. Go to NPC. Like there's no problem in doing that because one, if you come from a family like mine who didn't have the money, like why? Like at the end of the day, now it's your bill. It's not going to be mom and dad's bill that yeah. you know the feds want their money back in ten to twenty years and you don't got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how, like, right." <laughs> I didn't come through with that. <laughs> that exactly. Right. And so that's a um, Sorry. I think that's like such a good point. There is such a weird stigma, especially in California, about transferring. And it is an incredible pathway. It is. it is also a lot less competitive. Like, look at some of these application numbers to these schools, right? When you have schools that are receiving hundreds of thousands of applications, I guarantee you that most of those applications are first-year students. So then your number of transfer students is significantly smaller, and they still have they still have quite a few spots to fill, which means that their admit rates are going to be higher for transfer students. So look at the transfer pathway. What I do tell students as well is that um, you do need to know whether or not the transfer pathway is a good pathway for you. For some students, it is better if they come in as a first-year student. Like, for example, for me, I can get easily distracted, especially if I'm not being challenged. That's good. I, I might not have done well transferring. I'm sure I would have transferred and been fine, um, but it might have taken a little more rouging for me. Yeah. And so I think going straight to the university was best for me. But I've met some people that came to the university their first year, were too worried about partying, flunked out, then went to the community college. And community college was really the best pathway for them. Um, So it really does, you really do have to weigh that out. In California, a lot of the community colleges have changed in that first year. If you're enrolled full time, it's free. So now you're really only paying for one year of community college, which is such a tiny bill, and then only two years at the university level. So it is much, um, it is much more affordable. Um, and then when you're looking at that bill on the backhand and you're like, oh, $12,000, I got that. Like, right. that's easy. Right. You know, like I wish my student loans were only $12,000. Um, and then one thing that I guess I forgot to say too, um, about like engineering and like, and, um, science majors, um, and being a doctor do internships. Like you can do oh, unpaid internships. Good. 
And I promise you, people are like looking for the free labor and do them now in high school because that will really tell you, do I want to be in college? Like, do I want to do this profession? Right. So like, here's a really good example. I have a cousin who is a lawyer. She's, I'm sorry, she's not a lawyer anymore. She's a judge, right? Mm -hmm. So she's a judge. Um, And she was a lawyer and she's worked on some pretty high profile cases. So she worked on the Rodney King case, which is really cool. Um, But she was saying in like high school or college, she like swore up and down she wanted to be a doctor. She's like, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a doctor. So she went and she went to the hospital and did the little candy striker program. And in her first week, she's like, I cannot stomach blood. So I had to figure out what I was going to do. That's real. And that was it for her. She like quit the program right after that. And then she decided that she was going to take this pathway into law. So I think that when you do these internships and you volunteer, you go take tours of these like places. Um, and it could be someone as easy as like your general physician, just be like, Hey, you're my general. You already have this relationship with them. Can I come in and like file some paperwork like twice in a week? Like I just kind of want to learn the profession a little bit more and see if this is something for me. Um, then you get to know, like, is this something I really want to do? Because a lot of people cannot stomach blood. Yeah. I can't. Yeah, no, that's so real. My cousin used to say the same thing. And this is his story, but I'm about to tell it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> he was like in high school, middle school or high school. I want to say it was high school. And somebody got in a fight in the locker room and they got like clipped by the mirror in the locker room. And it was like a deep gash. And my cousin used to swear up and down that he wanted to be a doctor, but he was like about to hyperventilate, like about to pass out. A lot. But mind <laughs> you, someone's like shoulders dripping blood, but he was like, like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I couldn't be a doctor in that moment. And like to this day, we tell that story, and I'm like, dang, that is so funny because like he tried to act like a G, but I'm like, you can't even stomach mm-hmm. blood, bro. Like, sit down. Nah. <laughs> uh, but that's like big facts. Yeah. People be like, oh, I'll be fine. It's just a little blood. It is different when it is someone else's blood. That is true. Tell you. <laughs> like in anyone's like bodily fluids, I'm like, yeah, no, it's good. Like, unless you're a baby or like, you know, um, a person with disabilities, I truly cannot. Like, I'm good. My friend Jasmine, though, like, she had my vomit in her mouth. And I'll tell this story all the time. Ew, not in her mouth. In her mouth. No, no, no. In her hands. Like, she was holding my vomit oh. in her hands. And I knew in that moment that she was my bridesmaid, my godmother. Like, that's yep. her for life. Because that's for everybody else. Right. Everybody else left me to dry. And that brings me to a point. And I do want to talk about student loans and we could talk about that later. But another thing um, people didn't tell me about college is I, you know, everyone wants to go to the USC, the UC Berkeley, the Ivy League, whatever. And sometimes like those schools aren't for you. You talked about like, you know, going, making sure that like your program and all that stuff, but um, your, your school has your major and your program, what you want to do. But a lot of college is also about the social aspect and the social life and not just like the party and the turn up or like, you know, the football games. If that's important to you, yes. But similar to Nettie, like I couldn't be in a school like that because I would have never gotten a degree. So like there is a balance. But what I Mm -hmm. really am grateful for was our small school. CHUMB was only at the time I graduated like almost 8,000 students. And of those 8,000 students, like 8% of those were um, 8 to 10%, I think. Um, I keep changing, making it higher. But <laughs> it, it has not surpassed. When we were there, it did not surpass 8%. Yeah, okay. So. 8%. I'm like, um, 10%, 45 um, It was actually the smallest HBCU. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> 
we had a small <laughs> black community, but it was a community that I could be in a student center and be like, what's up? Like, I know this person and I know this person, or like I could go to a BSU meeting, whatever. And that social aspect, although we went to a small school, was so huge for me. Um, and that I was able to thrive. So can you speak to like social environments and like the things yeah. you would tell students or like you wish you knew about a social environment in college? That's a, oh my gosh. I'm so glad you asked me that question. Cause on my podcast, that's something that like me and my co-host really push a lot is college is so much more than the academics. Right. And I really want students to understand that early on because a lot of times they choose schools for solely academics. And while that is absolutely one of the most important reasons that you're there, it is not the only reason that you're there. And if you are only there for academics, but you don't like anything else, you will not survive at that school. And if you do, you're going to be very miserable there. Um, I will say like, and one of the biggest rhetoric that we like try and steer away from too, is that you don't need to go to a name brand school, right? There, they, you have all these rankings. And if anyone has not yet, um, go and watch the Varsity Blues documentary on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's really insightful. And because I'm in the field, like I, oh my God, I like ate it up like candy yeah. because like I, I, like I know what the back door is and then I'm like, oh, well, here's this side door admission scandal and just all of this elitism and all of this um, entitlement that happened and which is why the whole scandal existed. Mm. Um, th- that's besides the Wait, point. Wait, this is the one about. with um, Lori Lofton's. Okay, yeah, okay. with Lori Lofton. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the Varsity Blues. <laughs> with, and there were a lot of schools that got caught up in that. Um, but so one of the things that they talked about was how U.S. Weekly started ranking colleges in, I think, the 80s. Yeah. And they ranked them only on prestige. And when you go into the actual root of the word, I can't remember the root of the word, but it's basically like kind of like a smoke and mirrors effect, right? Just how can they create this illusion that they are the top school without anything else? So they're Mm. not ranking them based on academics. They're not ranking them based on student life, how happy the students are there. None of that. They're ranking them solely based on prestige, which is really an empty ranking. And so then that's how this scandal was able to survive and thrive was based off of prestige and where people felt like they needed to send their students. Right. But there's so much more to college. And I'm so grateful. Like my parents definitely pushed when I was like in high school, they were like, you need to apply to UCs, apply to UCs, apply to UCs. And if I would have applied myself a little bit harder, I might've been accepted to at least one UC. I didn't get accepted to any UCs. I didn't want to go to the UCs, but I had to apply to the UCs. And that happens to a lot of students because their parents push it. And for them, it's really like, for parents, it's something different. And they try and live out their dreams sometimes to their child. Um, But I'm so grateful for Cal State Monterey Bay for a multitude of different reasons. But one, it was small. And I recognized, I think my junior year, that I needed to be going to a smaller institution. Because one, I'm a social butterfly, right? Mm. I love people. So you're like, well, why wouldn't you go to a school with 30,000 people, right? One, it's much harder to know 30,000 people than it would be to know 5,000 people. I'm just saying. Uh True, true, (laughs) true. 
<laughs> but two, I think outside of that, I would have gotten lost in all the social aspects of everything and might have started slipping on my grades, right? Um, finding your community is really important. I tell students, what does that mean? It means find a solid group of friends that is going to be your community. That's not only going to go out and have fun with you, but they're going to make sure that you get your fucking work. Done. Yeah. Excuse my language. Yeah. But they're going to make no, sure that that's you go real. Out. <laughs> and you get your work done. And if you don't get your work done, they're in your ass yeah. and you need friends like that. So like that, so that's like one thing. Um, but finding the, and these large schools, a lot of times don't have the same resources that the small schools have, or they can't cater to you in the same way. So a lot of students would be like, well, why would I go to CSUMB? But they didn't know that CSUMB was the highest ranked CSU for research, right? So students feel like I can only go to a UC or an Ivy League in order to get research experience. No, you can do that at the CSUs as well. Right, right. There are opportunities. You just have to go and ask somebody and they'll point you in the direction to do that. Um, so like that was like one. And then being able at this much smaller school, I got to know my community better, which is why I was able to meet Mia so and true. be like, come in, let me show you how great this is. I got to know administration, like me and the VP at Cal State Monterey Bay, first name basis. Okay. Right. I walk into Ronnie's office all the time and like, that's the homie. We going in there shooting the shit. Like right. he's. He was such an amazing VP, and I felt like I really had a personal relationship with him, which made that really nice. I had I had uh, lunch with the president a few times right. because I was on the volleyball team, so I got to know administration. We got to know the dean of students like really well. That's not stuff that you can do at the USC's and the UCLA's and the Yale's and the, yeah. and if you can do it, it's at a much more competitive level and it's a lot higher to get into. And when you're a first generation college student, you are navigating so many things for the first time that no one set you up for that it sometimes doesn't even cross your mind that you would want to or even need to go and meet these people that are much higher up. Right. So like that I would definitely say like look at schools and look at like geographical locations, right? I love the beach. So you would see with my college admissions list that most of my um, schools were really like on the coast, right? I went to be somewhere near the water and I didn't want to, um, <laughs> I didn't want to go too far from the water. Um, I don't like the cold. So I did not apply anywhere where it snowed, um, except for Howard. I think Howard was the only place that I applied to where it snowed. You applied um, to my HBCU? <laughs> Good for you. I was, I was I so California. I did not do it. Yeah. I, my dad, like, so it's weird. My dad pushed HBCUs, but like not enough. And I don't think he really understood under, he understood it, but I don't think he understood how to push me yeah. towards the HBCU. And so then I was very California, California, California. And so then when he pushed me towards an HBCU, of course it was Howard. That is right. the, like, that is the HBCU outside of like Morehouse and stuff. Right. All my Hampton friends would be like, uh, no, but okay. No, right. <laughs> no, but, that's, but that's real. There and as I work for now a, an app that pushes students to HBCUs, like Howard is a big name. Yeah. They got some great stuff there, but a lot of these other smaller HBCUs, the same way that there's like UCLA and Harvard, you still have these much smaller private liberal arts, um, not community colleges, universities that will still be able to offer you those same things, yeah. but on a smaller scale. And they're a lot easier to get into. So like just being able to, if you can see past the name, then you can see past all the smoke and mirrors and then you can get through the nitty gritty and see, is it going to have what you need? Yeah, that's real because to, 
I could have, I could have muted. I could have muted myself. I'm sorry, y'all. I tried, but um, it's allergy season here and I'm dying, but um, that's dramatic. I'm not dying. Anyway, <laughs> has a whole tangent with myself. Okay. I get what you mean because allergy season. Right. It's so rough. But my family told me when I remembered like choosing CSU and being like, they quite didn't understand it, but I was like, I don't know. Like I feel called to go here. And I was definitely a big fish in a small pond. So similar to you, I wouldn't have got all those stuff, but I was so grateful to have those big players like the VP, you know, housing, all these people in my back pocket. So when I needed them for elevation or like whatever goal I had, I could be like, oh, hey, Ronnie, can you um, write me a letter of rec to your alma mater? Like, great. That'd be great. You know, like, um, or if I, like, I was in a housing crisis, like I knew the right person to talk to. So I was no longer in a housing crisis or, you know, like whatever the case like was, I definitely had that. And I know for a fact, I wouldn't have had that because to this whole varsity blues like statement, I ended up going to grad school. Um, in DC, I didn't go to Howard. I didn't even think about it. I regret another regret of mine. Should I didn't know? I did not know to actually take the HBCU tour. I should have done that. But anyway, I digress. It's okay. You can if you go back and get another postgraduate degree. Yeah, you can go to an HBCU. And I have an entire series, shameless plug. <laughs> I have an entire series on my podcast where we really talk about the HBCU experience. And when I apply to grad school, I will be applying to um, an HBCU. A good, of I love that. Um, I'm not quite ready for, you know, my third degree. Shameless plug on my academics. Um, yes, I do have two degrees. Um, but when when I get there, that doctorate, it, mm-hmm. it will probably be. Mm-hmm. Um, I did look at one, actually. Anyway, I'm going on a tangent. I went to George Washington University. It was a prestigious, prestigious school. U.S. Um, Weekly, you know, said it was number one for education policy. I went there, but and I paid top freaking dollar <laughs> for this program um, for me to be a commuter. And that is something, you know, we can even dive into like for a few seconds. But I was a commuter at a school. I was paying 80 grand to go to. Yeah. Um, uh, we don't want to talk about it. It wasn't a year. It was both, It was for two years, but still a lot of money. Yeah, still, yeah, a lot of money. Um, <laughs> and it's not 80 grand I just had in my pocket, y'all. It's 80 grand that I owe to the feds. But um, yeah, anyway, for what? You know, it's, I have this golden piece of paper, but I'm just a regular schmegler girl. <laughs> you know, like I could have gotten <laughs> my degree for way cheaper anywhere else. Um. And yes, I was in DC, so like it allowed me a network, but the risk in that and the money, um, I was just reading some stats on like graduation rates and how a lot of um, researchers will use graduation rates as like, oh, all these people graduated in 2019, like, you know, college degrees are on the rise for people of color or like, you know, for anyone, but I love to talk about people of color. Um uh-huh. But you don't look about the post after graduation, what that looks like. You know, like, were they able to secure a job? Were they able to secure a job that they're um, able to pay off their loans that they took to go to school? Mm-hmm. You know, um, all those things are huge factors that a lot of people, once again, shit, I wish I knew because I wouldn't have taken out at 17 years old the maximum amount of, you know, um, subsidized and subsidized loans, like not understanding those interest rates and how they were accruing over time. And, you know, all those things, like, once again, there are lessons now, but if I could go back, 
I would have had the bare minimum to pay and I would have got myself a little job at Target. Like, you know, I would have been taking the butt. Like, but I didn't know those things because no one was able to teach me them. So I had to make those less, you know, mistakes that turned into lessons to for me to be able to come here today and be like, y'all, don't you don't have to go to the top school in US Weekly. You don't have to take out that right. huge loan, you know. You don't have to stick with the major you decided you know, four or five years ago, if you truly don't like uh-huh. it anymore, like that's, uh-huh. that's fine. Um, those are all things people did not tell me. And I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay. We're growing. We are growing and learning from them. That's what we do here on Divergent Perspective. Um, but as a, going back to our topic, but as an admission counselor, can you speak to kind of some of like the demographics of first generation college students? I keep without acknowledging I keep you know plugging people of color and first generation Uh but can you speak to that more yeah and like you want are you looking specifically for like um I guess like race and ethnicity demographic or even like financial I'm gonna say financial the socioeconomic uh yeah because you know there are different things you pick you decide just make a disclaimer yeah I could talk a little bit about both of them um definitely when we talk about first generation where it usually happens to be with students of color. So black, brown um, students, a lot of Latino students um, tend to be first generation. What I have seen with a lot of um, black students, because I think a lot of times uh, admissions offices really love to say, oh, we've got all these first generation students and these first generation students are going to help us with diversity numbers and we're X, Y, and Z, right? And so a lot of schools struggle with Black students. They struggle with getting enough Black students, of course, yeah. with the exception of HBCUs. Um, <laughs> Gotta love but them. I mean, even HBCUs have their own struggles with getting students and meeting their enrollment targets, right? Yeah. Um, so past all of that, they're like, we're going to get all these Black students because we can get them through first-generation low-income. Mm-hmm. That's not always true. Black people are usually one or the other, or they're neither, right? They're either first generation, but not low income or low income, but not first generation, or they're neither. And so I kind of grew up in that cherry picking of, I was neither, I was not first generation and I was not low income. So how did I get in this, like this mixture of statistics and how did they recruit me? Um, It's something that a lot of admissions offices don't even think about. Mm. And so, um, but you do have a lot of students of color that fall into that category and then that are low income. And so there, um, there is a lot of recruitment that some institutions do. And then some institutions aren't doing that recruitment at all. Um, and I feel like I'm straying away from the question. So ask me the question. <laughs> no, you're <laughs> like good. This, honestly, I'm learning so much. It's yeah. such a wealth of information. But what are the, you, you spoke to it, like the demographics mm-hmm. of first generation college students. How do you see their success rate? Like, because I know we had like things like EOP, which to your, to the point you just made, I was a first generation college student, but I did not meet the income requirement. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, my family did not pay for school. That's, you know, like, it's a a thing, you know, like, I didn't get to have all the benefits of EOP, which, um, what does it stand for? It stands for um, Equal Opportunities Program. Yeah, yeah. Or Educational Opportunities Program, I'm sorry. Educational. And it is is usually geared towards first generation and low income. And that... That becomes, I don't want to say part of the issue, but it, it, it is hard for students who are first generation but not low income or low income but not first generation because they don't get to use these types of services, right? right? 
And so then, um, and so you have TRIO student support services, which oftentimes you only have to meet one of those, which allows students um, to kind of get in there, but uh, and use their services. But then what about students who still are struggling? And maybe, because I will say, I grew up in a household with rhetoric that was, you're going to college, right? It's not if you're going to college, it's where you're going to college. But sometimes the preparation once I came back home lacked a little bit because they put me in a lot of programs, but I wasn't always paying attention. I'm in these programs. I'm in young black scholars. We're going to colleges every week. I mean, honestly, part of that is my own thing. I will admit, right. Social butterfly. Yeah. Social butterfly. I was in high school. I wasn't really paying attention the way that I should have been. Um, and so I missed a lot of those key things, but I think even at home, sometimes just having a little extra help. And then my senior year, um, there, my grandfather passed away, um, at the, on father's day at the end of my junior year. And so we were really dealing with this really big, like family tragedy and that absolutely consumed me for college applications. So I always say like, it was a big fog. Like, I think I had a plan my junior year. And then when that happened, everything went out the window and it was just like, whatever I could get to. Um, but there is there's so much for students to learn. And I guess the you're talking a little bit about retention rates at the end of that question is what does retention look like once students get to the college? Yeah. We can get them, but we can't always keep them. And so a lot of that has to do with the services and the programs that we're providing to students of color, um, how they see themselves and whether or not they can find their community. And so that um, that's such a big issue. And because I work in admissions, like I see it and there's not a lot I can do about it because it doesn't fall within my department. And so I like usually try and place myself strategically on panels or in conversations where we can be talking about this and holding the campuses that I work for accountable for the environment or lack thereof that they have for black students. And sometimes the environment can be very toxic, right? So how do you really stay at an institution that probably was not created for you, but wants to service you? And that is a really big conversation. And that's where finding your community comes in. Find people who look like you. And I get that it might be hard, but like almost every campus has a black student union, right? Find those students. And then you're going to find, you might find a niche of students within there that um, you're going to, that are going to have similar interests. And you may branch off from BSU. Maybe you'll want to do NAACP. Maybe you'll want to start another club, right? It could be like anime for Black people, right? You want to find... You can start these different clubs and organizations on your campus, and maybe it's a small group, but it's a small and mighty group. And then um, what I always tell students, too, like I'm a really big person. It's not always about me, right? It's about how can I build something better for future generations? And so when I got to CSUMB, it was like 3% Black people, if it was that many. It was so tiny, and our student body population at the time was like, 2,500, 3,000 students. So you're like a little blimp on a map. Like right. you, you're not even seen. And so that's why admissions work became so important for me in undergrad was because I'm like, well, I want to get other black students here and I want them to come here and have a good time. And there are going to be struggles that I'm going to have here, but I don't want them to have those struggles. Yeah. So what can I do now that can help pave this pathway for them and create a better future. And I think that I started to do that. And I started those conversations. Definitely. I was 
in those rooms. Yeah, definitely. Um, and there's still so much work that they have to do, but they're conscious of it and we are making them do it. And there's a whole community of us still there. I call it us because it's still my alma mater yeah. and I feel so much on their pride. Um, but there's a whole community of African-American faculty and staff um, and students at any school that is really dedicated towards enhancing the black student experience. And so, or and even if you do not identify as black, maybe um, you identify as Latino or Asian Pacific Islander um, or indigenous, right? There's gonna be a community. And while it may be small, it can be mighty. So put your foot there and it's not high school. You can't get your foot in every pot, yeah. right? Pick one pot, two, if you can, right? If you're doing two, you're good. <laughs> no, it's real, um, it's real. But like, stick your foot in a pot that you can actually do things in and like gain a community and meet people and start work. And it may even open up career opportunities that you didn't even know were an option yeah. or that they even existed because of the work that you were doing in these clubs and organizations. Right. A lot of, I think like the stereotypes of college is, you know, the academics, the social, social in regards to like party life, but you know, social could encompass down to like where you're living, your housing, you know, like, are you a um a co-ed bathroom person or you know like all those things but yeah. all like, we only talk about those two things but it is very much like you're spending four or five you know four to six years networking you're spending that time like finding yourself and you know becoming the adult you, um you aspire to be or like you are kind of evolved in based on your circumstance and your environment um but there is a level of resiliency and that's not um, that word, I feel like I didn't really know what it meant until I went to college, you know, like I, mm -hmm. I was re resilient from literally the day I was born, but just, you know, that young girl who went to UC Berkeley and said she wanted to go to college, like you have to, mm -hmm. it's going to be challenging and it's going, there are so many, once again, lessons that I learned, but if there are people like a Nettie or like, um, myself, shoot, like, you know, people who are like doing that, doing that work, um, and having these conversations to, try to make it better, like just tap in, like, you know, get yourself uncomfortable just for a little bit. Like, you know, go to that one meeting or listen to that one podcast, read that one book, because it really will shape your, your outcome and your experience. And I am grateful for people like Nettie, because like, <laughs> I think about this all the time, especially when we are working on, in our missions, I looked at my GPA mm -hmm. from high school, like, <laughs> I should have been in college. <laughs> But there was someone. But we had a spot for you. Yeah, bro. yeah. There's the CSU would be had a spot for me, and I, you know, like to that day, and even that, like you know, that kind of pushed me. Like I didn't have the GPA in high school, but um, for some reason, like grades were really important to me in college, and you know, that's a whole different topic. But I, it just motivated me to do more and like be better. Um, and despite I had a very great undergrad experience, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, and that is in part to, you know, just that resiliency and like my community and all the people, um, there are still lessons that like need to be learned and maybe they'll, you know, they'll, it'll be in the book. Y'all, this is just the, st yeah. the start of the conversation. Yeah. I'm going to have Nettie talk to my editor. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Listen, we're going to put it in the book. Right. We're going to get y'all ready. Right. And, um. One thing I, I like to, I always like to say, cause it's always like a funny story. So Mia, if you can shed any, if you'd like to tell a fun story, um, down. homesickness, right? I think sometimes, especially with our first generation college students, they don't really like to go away from home. Some of them are like too eager to get away from home and that's fine. But some of them are like, 
they stay like close to home. They're like afraid to get homesick, whatever. Um, and then maybe they just go a little bit far away. But when you're in college, you don't get homesick. And so, Mia, do you have like a fun story to tell your listeners of like maybe when you were homesick in college? Ooh. Um, so I went to school three hours away. I thought that was the perfect amount of like I could come home, but then I couldn't come home. Um, but let me see. Okay. I, my first year, y'all, my first semester, I was home every single weekend. Um, <laughs> like anytime, because both me and my roommate were both struggling. Like we, we were both from the same area. I didn't have a car though. So like every time she said she was going home, I was like, oh yeah, me too. And like, I would just like hitch a ride. Um, but I would say it wasn't about me being homesick because I did come home, but my family did not allow me to have my car. And I thought I was on punishment. And like, you know, being black, like, you know, you didn't, I didn't get grounded. I was on punishment or restriction. And I was like mm-hmm. writing letters home every single week. Like I have all straight A's, like, like still very much a <laughs> child. Like don't, I don't understand why I can't have my car. Please let me have my car. Like I will be, I won't go to parties. Like all this stuff, like writing this whole, like my grandmother's oh, like really into, yeah. <laughs> into presentations. And so like, I like made this whole presentation like all of Christmas. I was like, please just let me take the car. Um <laughs> this is fantastic. I did not know yes. this. You made a you made a PowerPoint presentation. Right yes, there. because I was too bougie to be on the freaking bus. Like I don't know what bus that was, but the Target was only like 10 minutes from our school, y'all. If that, honestly. But it would take you yeah. like two to three hours to go to Target. I was like, yeah, no, I'm not riding the bus. Like, I will stay. I was like, mm. I think that was like the first. I watched all the Grey's Anatomy because I had nothing else to do. I was like, I had no car, no place to go. Um, <laughs> but best believe my second semester, I got that car and I was mobbing up and down the bay. Like, I was like, oh. And that's why they didn't give you the car, okay? It's like your family said, no, no car. Mobbing. You over here in the bay yeah. freshman year literally <laughs> i couldn't tell us nothing like i was the only one of my friends who had a car like it was it was a community car like i mean grandma if you listen to this podcast justin was driving that car Alex, everybody was driving that car <laughs> i actually learned how to drive in college because my dad i i'm the youngest but i mean it's only two of us but anyways i'm the youngest and so and my dad only has it's girls so it's two of us and i remember asking my dad i think like my 11th grade year and I was like oh dad can I go get my permit and he was like no <laughs> and I was like why and he's like you're my baby girl I just want to drive my baby girl around everywhere that's and I was beautiful like, okay. and it's it sounds beautiful he didn't take me in that I got it okay <laughs> every time I was like dad can, we, can you take me and my friends here he's no like, no and I'm like Okay, see, if I would have had a car, I could have just driven myself, right? right? right. And so then I, I have, I had a boyfriend in high school, and he could drive. So when I would like hang out with him, which was every weekend, then I didn't have to worry. Once he could start driving, then I had to worry about anybody because he would just come and pick me up. Right. That's like besides the point. So, anyways, my um, one of my friends, my freshman and sophomore year, shout out to Tracy. She taught me how to drive. Oh, awesome. <laughs> she would let me like drive her car, and I took my um. And my, I did have two uncles who also taught me how to drive. And then my dad finally like let me go get my permit. Um, I think in the summer of my freshman year, and then one like two days before my birthday, I went and took my license test in Monterey. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Did they make you? Yeah. Um, did you have to park or like parallel park or anything? 
Yes, I did have to parallel park, which is so funny. Okay, so um, cheat sheet for anyone who is not of age to drive yet. If you hit the curb when you're parallel parking, you're done. You're done. <laughs> they will kill you, right? And I, it's funny because now I use the curb as a guide to know how close I am. <laughs> I promise you, the only time I've never hit a curb was on that test. <laughs> that's funny. I mean, like, we just tap it. Okay, that's where close we are. I used to have a car where the mirror would go down when I went in reverse so I could see the curb. That was really helpful. That's fancy. And in my car, I didn't hit the curb. But in my new car, that all, yeah, I ain't got that kind of money. That's, <laughs> I'm dead. I'm dead. Um, no, that is man I think we could talk about like that's a whole just podcast of just stories of college but I'm so grateful um oh wait oh my gosh I didn't play my game I have to always play this game every episode um so shout out to Jan Pickett Smith who's not sponsored by she didn't sponsor me but you know I'm giving her a lot of clout every time I play this game um we are gonna play we are not really strangers and I feel like this is actually really true for us. We're not really strangers. Like, we've done life together. But um, I'm going to ask you two questions. First one. Um, would you get somebody's name tattooed on yourself? Why or why not? <laughs> Y'all, well, y'all just see her face? <laughs> I don't have any tattoos. So that's like an easy no. Yeah. If I did, it would like maybe be like my kids. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if I believe in tattooing people's names. That's so funny. My mom has my name tattooed on her um on her calf. And I was like, Mom, I'm gonna get your name tattooed on my calf. And she's like, No. And I was like, But why did you get mine? She was like <laughs> She's like, No. <laughs> okay, that was easy. Um I didn't know you didn't have tattoos. Yeah. Second. I thought about one. <laughs> what character would you play in a movie? Now, I feel like this is a good question for you because I feel like it would be about 12 characters. <laughs> I mean, okay, what kind of movie are we in? Okay, yeah, let me set to... the scene for you. Um, okay. We will do two. We'll do a rom-com Ooh. and then a horror film. Oh. Okay, so rom-com. Are you the damsel in distress? Are you... <laughs> Ooh, that's like a good question. Okay, I mean, honestly, I could play all of the characters flawlessly. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I could play the damsel in distress, but I feel like I would have more fun like playing like the quirky friend that like gets you back up on your shit. Like, okay, look, you don't need no man. Like, we about to be out here. We're gonna be having fun. Like, Nettie in college was very reckless. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was reckless, but I had like a whole like oh my god, I have a boyfriend, so I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. <laughs> like, wait, I wasn't that reckless. He knows I am. Um, but I was like, I had this whole philosophy on a team. Like, I was I gonna was, say this. Whoa. I was like, Nettie taught me game. Nettie taught me game. I got. Are, are you still using that game, girl? Because it is. I'm so trying valid. to be wrecked. I'm trying to be saved and sanctified, but I know it. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> Listen, now I am. Now I'm like wholesome. I'm one man, Maddie, and he's so sweet. Bless his heart. That's so funny. No, I definitely see you being like the cool best friend who's like trying to get somebody on their game. Okay, if you were yeah. on the horror film, like, give me like, I don't want to say get out. I don't want to restrict it, but like. In the horror film, are you the black person who dies first or like, are we rewriting this narrative? Are you the villain? I feel like 
I feel like I would be the black person that like somehow miraculously survives mm-hmm. because you would absolutely depict her as like the one that would die first. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, she, Nettie, she's not gonna make it. But then somehow I would just be so high maintenance. I'm like, listen, I can't do this. We gonna, I might be the first one out. I honestly would probably be the first one out and you would never see me again in the movie. You see me for like the first 10 minutes and I'd be like, it's not it's not giving me what it needs to give i'm out right. <laughs> i'm out like i would have been in that little get out scene like no <laughs> okay all right and i might have you know what i'm saying like he was a little bit like where are the keys were like nah 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 i don't even know if i would have packed my bag i would have just left and let baby girl call me later I'm on and dead. be like you left your bags at my parents' house. I'm like, I find you. That's funny. Or like when he goes back, um, like you know, he feels bad for the lady. Like you would be like, nah. Um, I mean, nah. <laughs> she would have to get. She would have had to get left. I felt like he knew too much at that moment to go back. Yeah. To her. Right. Right. God bless him. Yeah. yeah. God bless him. Mm, was it wasn't his finest is- moment? I mean, he crushed that move. He survived. He survived, but. Yeah, he's right. I will say that's a good rendition of because I don't watch horror movies, but I love Jordan Peele because like a lot of, they're like psychological horror. Yeah. You really have to think about right. it. What about you? Who would you play in a horror movie? Oh, I wouldn't be in it. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> You're like first ten minutes. Like yeah, me. right, right. <laughs> um, I probably like who I think I am in my head versus like who I am in reality. Two different people. Right. But I, I would probably be. I would like make it to like the middle of the movie. Like, do you ever watch that movie? Um, was it Anaconda? Anaconda or like something with Ice Cube? He makes it to the very end of the movie. You know that movie? Wow. It was like I think it's like J Lo's in it. I don't remember who's in this movie, but anyway, Ice Cube's in it, and you're like, oh, the black man's gonna survive the movie, and he like dies right before. That would be me. Like, it would be like resilient all the way up until the very end, and then like something small would get me. You know. Honestly, I can see yeah. that. Like, yeah, you will survive that because you got the smarts. Yeah. You outwit everybody. Yeah. And then just when you let your guard down, because it would be because you let your guard down, you thought everything was yeah. safe, and then something small. Yeah. You. And you'd be like, damn. damn. But that's... <laughs> yeah, I'm out of the horror movies before the horror really starts. <laughs> I'm like that smart person. Not for me. But like, I wish I was that person. I'm like, oh, no, we can figure this out. Like, you know, me. Figuring right. this out. I got it. Like, everybody's going to survive. Like, that's not me. <laughs> like I said, I hope this conversation, uh, this could honestly be something we talk about. Oh, this is why Nettie has a whole podcast on it. There's so much wealth of information. Um, so definitely go check out her podcast. Um, when it relaunches, I will put all the information below. I'm just super excited to even start this conversation and hopefully be a resource or a guide or even just, you know, spark some memories for people who haven't been in college for quite some years. Um, we're getting, we're getting old. We're getting old. Um, Nettie, I appreciate you. I love you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Mia. Um, I want to say thank you so much for just having me on. I'm gonna have to have you on the podcast so we can like continue this conversation as well. Part two. I'll be relaunching hopefully by this summer. Um, I'll be relaunching. Um, admitting it. But um, if your students have any questions for me and they want to pick my brain. Um, they are more than welcome to hit me up on any of my social needs. And so um, I'll say them right now and I'll give them to you too. So you can like put them in the, the description, but you can hit me up on my admissions Instagram, which is at admitting it. And it's just A-D-M-I-T-N-I-T. 
or on my personal Instagram, which is at it's Nettie. And that's three T's and one Y. So N-E-T-T-T-T-Y. <laughs> Extra. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, right. Literally. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. And catch us on the next episode of Divergent Perspective. that's a wrap folks this is your outro so you know same thing every week if you liked it give it a thumbs up make sure you subscribe on all podcast platforms and don't forget to follow us on social media i'm an influencer now so this is kind of a big deal peace